Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest tonight is Lee Matthews Goldberg, not to be confused with Lee Goldberg, um, no. although they both write thrillers. <laughs> um, they are mm-hmm. they write two distinctly different kinds of books. Um, Lee Matthew Goldberg just recently uh, released another one of his books. This one's called The Desire Card. We bumped into each other, I think, at Bouchercon.ly. Is that where we met? Boucher yeah, Con, I, I think, think it was two yeah. Bouchercons ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, Bouchercon in St. Pete, and um, recently he sent me a copy of his book, The Desire Card. It was so deliciously, wickedly, thrillingly ugly that I loved it. <laughs> so, I love, I love I that description. That's perfect. Yeah, I, I don't know how even else to say that, but it was such a wicked book. That and I've never read anything like it, so I'm pleased that Lee Matthew Goldberg is here with me today. Welcome for your first time to Authors on the Air. I have a feeling you and I are going to be talking an awful lot in the future. I I would love that, and thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so excited. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So I want to just talk a little bit about you Mm -hmm. right now because your books have been published in multiple languages and have been nominated Mm -hmm. for awards. Um, This is your first in an international thriller series, The Desire Card, Mm -hmm. by Fahrenheit Press, and the second Mm -hmm. book in the series Pray No More, which comes in – this year sometime you're going to tell me about that sometime this year yeah i don't we don't have the exact date yet but i would assume um it's it's going to be sometime very soon um we're we're dealing with last edits well you you also write pilots and screenplays and have been a finalist in a Mm -hmm. lot of different projects um Mm -hmm. tell me about your background lee before we go any further and talk about the books Sure, sure. I mean, I've I've always been a writer ever since I was about four years old. I would create stories about my dog getting into like weird, crazy scenarios. Um, so I think I always really? have a little bit of a thriller. Yeah, a little bit of a thriller writer in me. Um, but I I absolutely love movies. So I I really started when I was much younger, um, writing scripts even before I moved to to novels. Um, and then as an adult, um, I my first book came out when I was about thirty five, but I had written it about ten years earlier and stuck it in a desk and it took me about eight years to open up that desk and take it out and actually think it had merit and was worthy of trying to get it out there. Wow. You were doing other things and not thinking about that book. Yeah. I, I mean, I went to grad school for an MFA program um, and I met my agent through that and we were pitching a, a different book that now is actually going to be published this year. Um, but at the time, um, he was asking sort of what else I had. And I was like, well, I had this book. I stuck it in a desk for about eight years. Um, huh. he's like, well, let me take a look. And he read it and he was like, well, the writing needs a lot of work, but the story is completely there and really just touch it up and, you know, correct a bunch of the grammar. And it was, it was pretty much good to go then. And we wound up selling that and it came out in uh, 2015. Um, that was called slow down. Mhm. And then you wrote the mentor. Yes. So shortly after that, um, uh, it was it was noticed by um, an editor, Brendan Anine at St. Martin's Press, um, mm-hmm. and he had an idea uh, for the mentor, sort of a tagline pitch. And I was really luckily hired to create a book out of that pitch, and and that wound up being the mentor. 
Wow. Wow. I mean, that's terrific from, from, you know, writing of your first book to mm-hmm. it getting published right away, you know, well, not right away. I mean, as soon as you obviously turned it over is really quite an accomplishment. Now, um, Thank you. that's really amazing. You also wrote your first sci-fi novel, which is coming out this year, Orange City, correct? Is this a dystopian yes. novel mm-hmm. by any chance? It is dystopian. It's probably now coming out in Yummy. 2021, so it's being pushed a little bit. Um, uh-huh. But yes, it's dystopian and it's weird and it's out there. And it's another project I'd been working on for, for many, many years and uh, never quite felt it was ready to really put out there until I put the finishing touches on it. Uh, but I love <laughs> David Lynch, so it has a very kind of David Lynchian ah, vibe to it. Yeah. And I love dystopian, so I'll be really when that book is released. Um, uh, So now you also have another little thing that you're doing and you are going Mm -hmm. to be a publisher, which is, it it just seems like the natural progression for you simply because you've, well, yeah, you know, you film, screen, Mm -hmm. books, you're expanding your world and this is what you've always wanted to do, correct? Yes. Yes, well, absolutely. To be immersed I, in this. I mean, I think for myself also not to just think of myself like I only write novels and to think of yourself as a writer is really a brand that could really do anything, whether it's become a screenwriter, move into film, into film production, um, and also uh, own a publishing company. So that's, that's sort of what we're starting, and it's called Fringe, and it's uh, being launched in the summertime. Our website just went up at fringe, fringelit.com, uh, and the cool thing about it is we, we're really looking for outside-of-the-box fiction, uh, so things that maybe a big press wouldn't quite know how to market or be a little bit afraid of. Um, that's Wow, uh, I love that. Thank you, thank you. And the cool thing that we're really doing also is we're partnering um, with Book Pipeline, which is a screenwriting competition. And mm-hmm. in their unpublished outsider category, the winner, in addition to getting a, a good amount of money and industry circulation, will also have a chance to publish with us. Uh, so it kind of bridges the gap between Hollywood and publishing in a nice way. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Do you still have your fingers on the pulse of movies and film production and <clears throat> screenwriting? <clears throat> I me. do. Uh, I mean, I, I, I see a ton of movies um, and I try to, like, I'm going to LA in two weeks to meet with a couple of producers with, over different projects and I'm trying to wedge myself in that industry as much as possible. Nothing has quite fully happened, but I'm pestering them enough that hopefully something soon will actually happen. Well, you've got to be proactive in your own career. So exactly. that makes sense yeah, to me, yeah. you know. Do you and it's have very different con- than publishing? It is, but mm. it's still producing an artistic endeavor, regardless. Yes, it's entertainment. Definitely. Yeah. Um, do you have your a business plan for your life, how you want it to go, the arts that you want to be involved in? Is there a strategy I mean, to the things you do? For myself, I really always just want to be able to create art and have the ability to do that, whether it's you know, novels, screenplays that become movies, whether I at some point maybe decide to go into directing or producing films, um, mm-hmm. really just never letting myself be bored in, in terms of what I'm doing. 
um, and I'm very prolific, and um, I, I love writing. Uh, so hopefully that continues for, for the rest of my life as well. Um, I hope it does but too. I, yeah, but other than that, I kind of just wing it. I mean, I always have this crazy philosophy with this career where I just throw everything at the wall and some things stick and some don't. And the ones that don't, right. it doesn't mean that they won't stick at some point. At some other time, correct. I agree mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, uh, there's no failure. There's only a learning experience. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, a book really never dies. Even if you, your agent tries to sell it and it doesn't quite take, um, it could possibly take a, another time. And I've uh, had that. That's ex- right. I'm having that experience where something yeah. we tried didn't, and now it will. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, uh, I was reading uh, careerauthors.com. Uh, Hank Phillips mm-hmm. Bryan wrote a little thing in there oh, about. She's the best. Um, I love Hank. Yeah. She was on a Monday night, so she was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she said, you know, it's you just never know what's going to take. It may be out True. there, and that's what someone's mm-hmm. looking for at the time, and next week yeah. they won't be looking for it. So, you know, a lot yeah, of it I, is just luck of the draw, don't you think? I think completely. You know, talent obviously has something to do with it, but so much is sure. right place at right time. And it's because fiction especially is so subjective. So, um, you know, you could have one person at, at a house that loves the book and then they give it to their higher up and the higher up or the marketing department is not as enthused and the deal goes through and the book never happens. So it's like all right. the stars have to align. And the same thing with film. It's like everything has to align at the exact right time for something right. to happen. Um, right. But as, as we can see, there's a million books and a million movies. So the stars do align often. Yeah, but I mean, publishing is not dead. I think it's 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 blossoming all over again, especially mm-hmm. with the fact that bookstores are are just you know populated everywhere now. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. I I you know book sales have not slumped. I don't care what anyone no. says. Kindle sales have slumped, but book sales have not slumped. And I think with big retailers like Costco and BJ's and Target and Walmart all getting into mm-hmm. the book act. It makes it more Smart, accessible yeah. for regular people, don't you think? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I, I live in New York City, and the amount of new indie bookstores, too, that have popped up, especially in, like, Brooklyn, um, is right. really great to see, especially after a couple of years ago, Borders closed, and we lost a lot of Barnes & Nobles as well. Um, I think the publishing industry is, is mutating right now, and it's sort of deciding where it's going to go. But books will never be dead. They'll People will always be reading in, in, in some That's form. Right. Um, I agree. And I think there's so much great content and there's so much brilliant talent out there that oh, you're um, not it kidding. forces it to stay alive. You're not kidding. This year, this past year, I read so many amazing books. And when we did our end of the year book awards show, um, our reviewers had a really hard time choosing. I mean, yeah. we, you know, we, we go through the whole year through a nominating mm-hmm. process when someone reads a good book and then, you know, th- then they go to the end of the month and they tally it all up. And there just were so many amazing books that came out. And even this year, you know, I get 300 emails a day asking for, for interviews and mm-hmm. reviews. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's hard for me to decide what I'm going to do on my show yeah. and what other people want to do on their shows, because there's so mm-hmm. many good books out there right now. So speaking of, let's talk about mm-hmm. the desire card. Sure, let's do it. Oh, my God. Please give <laughs> listeners a synopsis about this book because I'm crazy about it. 
So basically, the Desire Cards, the first book in a series, um, although you could read them in any order when they come out and you could read them independently. Um, and it's basically about uh, a company that promises any wish fulfilled for the right price. And they're a quite shady organization. Um, and in my book, in the first book, The Desire Card, um, a Wall Streeter uh, needs a liver. He's really abused his liver his whole life. And um, through a lot of different pathways, he winds up contacting them um, for that. And, I mean, not to give a spoiler, but it doesn't work out perfectly as it should. Right. And he winds up in India, in, in the slums, um, and really has to learn himself if he's really been behaving like kind of a jackass his whole life and if he almost deserves this type of punishment. He is not a likable character. He's no. so he's he's just kind of, you know, a guy who turned out to be a slacker and when he had a really mm-hmm. good job and he has mm-hmm. miserable habits. And he's not really a nice mm-hmm. guy. And no. um and when you say for a price, it's really interesting because you don't know what that price is going to be when you right, make the deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes, that definitely. to me was was what gave me the tingles when I was reading this. It mm-hmm. was very powerful because, you know, as I've been promoting on this, be careful what you wish mm-hmm. for. Uh, yes, because exactly. unless unless you've got it signed, sealed, and delivered, uh, you know, uh, stamped and notarized and mm-hmm. put before a judge, anything can happen. And right. this guy who ends up in Mumbai, which I thought was hysterical, and, you mm-hmm. know, doesn't know what the hell he's doing and is ticking everybody mm-hmm. off. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, it just was such a fun read for me. It, Thank it you. really Thank was you. a lot of fun. I love this book. Um, it, it was nothing like I've ever read before. So, cool. um, And cool. I know that you're getting great reviews on it, too. Congratulations. It has. Yeah. Um, Thank you. yeah. You've gotten – all five star reviews, I think, on this book. So, and and I'll be Pretty adding much. mine yeah, to it. Yeah. Yeah. After this is um after our interview is done. Uh, awesome. When I get everything done, I'll be adding mine too because it was really a great book. Cool. What Thank you. What was Thank your you. inspiration for this one? Um. So I wrote this uh, a couple years ago, and it was around the time of Occupy Wall Street uh-huh. in New York, and in the news, it was so much about sort of the wealth discrepancy sort of one percenters right. and everyone else. Right. And I thought about um, sort of a company really targeted to those one percenters that really would give them anything they want, you know, whether that be like, you know, Gurkha Dragon cigars that are, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or something really more sinister. And in the later books, you really find out um, the company, uh, it's kind of a glorified hitman operation. And sure. that's the thing that people really pay the, the highest price for. Um, And then I thought about this sort of, you know, smart individual, but not so street smart individual um, who just kind of gets sucked up in their web and really kind of pulled through the ringer in terms of it. And ultimately, I think um, in in some way redeems him him, himself, you know, uh, not to give too much away, but he goes on a journey and I think he ends up better than he started, at least moralistically, morally. Yeah. So um, is it important for you when you are creating your, you know, anti-hero mm-hmm. to make sure that they have a redemption in, in your stories? I think a lot of it also was like, am I ever going to be able to sell this book if he's not redeemed somehow? You know, is anybody really going to want to 
pay attention to him. Um, so some, some of it came out in terms of that. But I think to pull a character for, you know, almost 400 pages, you know, and he really right. goes through, I think, more than I put a lot of my other characters through. For him not right. to end out, not to say that there's like a happy ending or a not happy, or not happy ending, you know, I'm not sort of revealing that. But just for the character to understand sort of who he was at the beginning and how unacceptable really that was and to move forward in life. Um, that this experience has to change him. And I think like anything in life, if you go through a major thing, it, you know, it changes you hopefully for the better, even if it's a negative experience, That's right. hopefully you turn That's it right. into a positive. Um, right. And I think, you know, for Harrison, he, he comes back in later books in small amounts. Um, and he, even though he has supporting roles in other books, he is a different character in a lot of ways from what he experienced in this one. Yeah. Um, how did you conceive of this this series arc? Uh, well, at first it was just going to be a one-off book. Um, mm-hmm. And then after I finished it, um, there's a, a, a very small character in this book. He's the James Dean character because they all wear mm-hmm. fat, um, masks of old-time movie stars. Right. And he works for the organization. And I started thinking, well, what would somebody's story who works for the Desire card be like it would be very very different so in the second book pray no more um he decides he wants to leave the organization and basically like the mob you know once you're in you're in um you're in right yeah so it it sort of follows him in his path as he um again sort of ethically decides to be a better person but he's gone too far with them to really be ever able to do that um and that one is much more of like a like a fast-paced um, kind of Elmore Leonard um, action yeah. kind of book, than where this one's a little bit more literary, I would say. I think this book is a really great character study. Mm-hmm. The Desire Card is a really great character study. On the, um, and, the, and the study as a reader, what I take away from it is the, um, mm-hmm. you know, wretched excess, uh, yes. No responsibility for actions, mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to sh- take shortcuts and all, and mm-hmm. suffering the consequences. It's almost very noirish, except it's not. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. Is, you know, but it, but it's a, a really unusual concept. And so, like I say, I thought it was just evilly delicious. Uh, it was just such I love a great book to read. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to use that. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll put it in I my will. review for you. you. Like, I took um, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go back and talk to you about FringeLit.com sure. because that mm-hmm. will be your publishing house. Um, you yeah. you said it's available on the web right now for people to look. Are yeah. you mm-hmm. looking for any particular style, genre, character, study, or sure. author, writer? We really want um, anything outside the box. Um, you know, first and foremost, you know, we don't want to be bored. So don't give us the same story we've heard before. Um, and we love sure. things that are mixed genres. So like if you have a historical novel that's a little bit literary and a little bit thriller and even has like an element of sci-fi in it, um, really the sky's the limit with Fringe. Um, I think a lot of times in publishing, when you mix genres, it becomes quite difficult to sell things. And they worry who we're going to market it to. 
And I think that's honestly foolish. I think that readers are smarter than that, and readers love to be challenged, and they love things that are unique. I was just going to say that. Boy, I tell you what, I can't tell you. I have an embarrassment of riches. I say this every show. I get books, tons of books, every week from publishers. Mm -hmm. And because I have so much to choose from, and because I've always been an avid reader, and I buy some of my books, and I'm mm. not picky about where I buy them, mind you. If I'm going to go into yeah. a garage sale and I see a book I haven't read, I'm probably going to buy it, you know. But, nice. yeah, but the fact not? of the matter is when, when I see – read a book that has every trope in the universe shoved into it, and I think, mm. why? Or, yeah. or if I see, like, you know, thought bubbles or something, you know, someone's telling mm-hmm, – the mm-hmm. character in his head is telling me their motivation – I, it bothers yeah, me because yeah, yeah, I think do. readers are inherently fairly educated, well-educated mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Now, They're, they, they know may not want to – you know. that's right. They may not want to step out of their comfort zone. You know, if you're mm-hmm. used to reading Ivanovich or Patterson or Child, you, and you sure, may not sure. want to try something new. That's mm-hmm. okay. You don't write mm-hmm. down to them. You write up. Mm-hmm. You make it better yeah, all the exactly. time. Yeah, no, I, so, I agree, and I think um, just to be really, you know, fearless about what we write, what we're publishing as well, and the audience sort of will respond to that. I agree with you. Will you um, only accept aged, aged submissions, or are you no, going to open submissions? We're, we're op- right now we're not open to submissions yet because we literally just went mm-hmm. live last week. So, um, right. But we will be open to submissions to everybody, and in addition to that, um, we're partnering with Book Pipeline. Book Pipeline is a screenwriting competition out in Hollywood. Um, and mm-hmm. the winner of one of their competitions, in addition to getting a great sort of grand prize and in industry circulation, will also mm-hmm. have the chance to publish with us. Um, so if you have an unpublished manuscript um, and you go over to Book Pipeline, you can check out them uh, for all the details. Oh, fabulous. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, uh, yeah a, lot of, um, a lot of people ask me, you know, what do I do? And I keep saying, I'm a talk show host. <laughs> I can just mm-hmm. tell you what people, what people have said to me. You know, mm-hmm. there are very few places that will take unagented um, manuscripts. Yeah. And yeah. you have to be careful because a lot of those are vanity presses. You don't get advances. Mm-hmm. You don't get marketing yeah. or anything yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, so uh, I'm, I'm going to make sure that um, when I do my social media tomorrow, and and pull this po- uh, up into a podcast that I'm going to also mm-hmm. put your links in there for for friendship. Yeah, thank you. That would be great. That would be great. No, I, I'm happy to do it. So what's next? What's next on your list to check check uh, check off for 2020? Um, so right now I'm about a quarter into a book um, called The Great Gimmelmans, and it's about um, in 1987 after the stock market crash, um, mm-hmm. the stockbroker who loses all his money. And before his um, house and his uh, RV gets repossessed, he throws his family in the RV and they kind of go across country kind of figuring out what's next and realize that they're amazing at robbing banks and become notorious bank robbers in the 1980s, kids included. Uh, So that's what I'm working on now. That's yeah. fascinating. I like kids' books, so it sounds really good. You and I are going it's to be talking kind of, a lot, Lee. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think so. Um, it's an idea I've had forever, and originally it was going to take place during the Great Depression, and that just seemed not as fun to write as the, the 80s, which I was a little kid in. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's got it's chock full of '80s references, and I, it's kind of like Bonnie and Clyde meets We're the Millers, the movie. That's so funny. So let me ask you: Do you have a lot of ideas for stories ticking around in your head? Yes. Yeah, I have too many, and it it's oftentimes where I'll I'll put them down and they'll sit for a couple of years, and then I'll find a time to actually get to them. Um, but I'm a fast writer, so I think that helps. And I could knock out a book in, um, you know, around three to four months if I really am into it. Really? How do you decide which of those ideas is going to become your next novel? It's sort. I mean, this is an idea I've had for years, so I really was waiting for the the right time to write it, where I, I felt like enough had marinated. And then I usually sit down for about a week and outline the whole thing. Uh, kind of mm-hmm. chapter to chapter. Um, and this one just came really fast, I think, because the ideas and the characters had been floating around for so long. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then I just started, and I aim for about five pages a day. Um, and luckily right now, it's, it's kind of my full-time job. Um, so I usually hit those five pages. Do you start off with the story or the characters? I think it depends. Um, I think an idea kind of happens first. So, I mean, for uh-huh. the bank robbing one, um, I knew I wanted to write about a family of bank robbers. Um, and then I didn't realize until I wrote the outline that it was going to be told through one of the kids' perspectives mostly. Um, that was uh, wow. sort of a last-minute decision. I thought it was going to be, like, omniscient. And then this character kind of came about, and he's around the age I was in, in 1987, so he's mm-hmm. a little bit of a version of me. Um, which I don't really write usually, um, but it just spoke the best. And he's very sarcastic and funny. So even though terrible things are happening, you know, they're robbing banks and, you know, the FBI's after them. um, The book is very tongue in cheek. Sounds fascinating to me. Um, I want to ask you a couple, like five quick questions and five quick answers before we wrap, because I've kept you on for a little over what I promised you. Um, Thank thank you. Oh, thank you. So whose book is on your nightstand? Um, I'm reading right now uh, The Topeka School by Ben Lerner, which is a super, super literary book, um, which I don't always gravitate to, um, but I've read some of his other stuff. He's a great writer. He's an amazing writer, and I can't write like that, um, so I think it helps me up my game a little bit. It's a good way of looking at it. Um, You know, Let's wipe the slate clean of all your artistic mm-hmm. endeavors. If you had to choose a profession besides the artistic endeavors, what would it be? Have you ever had curiosity about doing something else? Yeah, that's really, I don't know. I don't know if I could do something that's not artistic. I think that's sort of just what I'm meant to do. I, I was a professor for 10 years, so um, it's something I've taken time off from right now, uh, but it's mm-hmm. something I'll go back to eventually. And I taught undergrad, and I would love to teach like grad school writing at some point, like a class, you know, not, nothing crazy, but like a class. Hmm. Interesting. Um, cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> I answer that really fast. Dogs. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we might be, re- we might be cats. renegotiating our, 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 our relationship going forward. Uh, I'm, I'm five yeah, me, cats. Me and okay? cats, me and cats it, it, it's not a good mix. Uh, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Well, you know, we'll have to see about that. 
Um, okay, okay. <laughs> if you're going to give your students a, one piece of valuable mm-hmm. advice about this career that they call mm-hmm. writing, what is it going to be? Um, I just did a panel yesterday for students at the University of Binghamton. Um, mm-hmm. And what I told them, based, which I think is great advice, is that there's going to be so much rejection in this career. I mean, it's constant. It's every day. And you really have to just learn, like, how to, you know, dust it off your shoulder. And everybody could say no, but you only need one person to say yes for something to happen. And that if you're persistent and you're good, um, that yes will happen at some point. It's so weird. University of Binghamton, that's not upstate, right? It's upstate, but there were students in the city uh, for like oh, a okay. week long. I was thing. in. Up, so, yeah, I yeah. taught a class. I taught a class there upstate mm-hmm. <laughs> about twenty years ago. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. You know, six degrees of separation. Everybody is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my absolutely. my final question to you is, mm-hmm. you know, sure. every writer has a toolbox that mm-hmm. they they have tools that they work with to make their writing happen. What's your most mm-hmm. valuable tool in your toolbox? Um, I, I'll tell you exactly. So I write most of my books when the weather is nice in central park. Um, and I'm usually mm-hmm. at the same tree and I would say, you know, nature is kind of my best toolbox. It helps, you know, wow. refreshes my mind and especially living in midtown Manhattan, it gives me a break from kind of crazy New York city. Um, yes. and then in the winter, I kind of just figure something else out <laughs> to do. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Although it's going to be 60 is... degrees here on Saturday. So I'll be, I'll be in the park then. It'll, it'll be 85 degrees here in Southwest Florida tomorrow. So, um, uh, I actually have my windows nice. open now, but now it's just a little warm. Um, mm-hmm. Folks, my guest is Lee Matthews Goldberg. His book is called The Desire Card. Lee, give your website address, please, and where we can find you in social media. Sure. My website address is really easy, LeeMatthewGoldberg.com. Um, and on social media, you can find me on Instagram at Lee Matthew Goldberg, um, on Twitter at Lee Matthew G, um, and Facebook at Lee Matthew Goldberg as well. Thank you so much for being with me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It was a long Thank time you, coming and definitely yeah. worth having you here. I hope you'll come back one day. I and will. Maybe, you'll, maybe, you'll take a, maybe you'll take a spin behind the microphone and interview an author that you like. Oh, I would love to do that. That would be great. Okay. All right. Very good. Listeners, thank you so much for being with me. Readers, go and get Lee Matthew Goldberg's book, The Desire Card. I promise you it's just wickedly great. And thank you for being with me. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. (laughs) 